over and over and over again. And so I remember for years and years and years, you know, I would watch Gilligan's Island when I'd get home from school and throughout the summer we'd watch Gilligan's Island. So if you're, I don't know, 35, 40 years old or older, you'll probably remember Gilligan's Island. If you're younger than that, you may not. But uh, it was a really cool show, and I really enjoyed it. How many of you ever saw, saw it? So, so most of you, you have. But uh, as you can see there, they, uh, they went out on the, uh, on the minnow, the boat. And it was from Hawaii, and the skipper, he was the captain of the ship, and then Gilligan was his first mate, and they had five passengers and they set sail that day for a three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed and all of that. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. Ships ground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle. You know, with Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire and his wife, the movie star, the professor and Marianne here on Gilligan's Isle, and so on and so forth. So, so, so there you have it. And... Uh, and, and so what, what the show was is that they were shipwrecked and lo, lo, they were lost. And that's the title of the message here today. They were lost on Gilligan's Island. And uh, the premise of the show is they were trying to get off the island. So titling this Lost on Gilligan's Island. And uh, what I want to do, notice Luke 19 and 10, Luke 19 and 10. Jesus said for the son of man, talking about himself, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek and to save that which was lost. And so what I want to do today is I want to just briefly look at each of the Gilligan's Island characters, the castaways. And I want to look at them today from a spiritual perspective and see what it was about each of them that would keep them from receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and getting saved. Pretty pretty interesting concept, isn't it? So let's start out with Thurston Howell III and his wife, Lovey. Remember her? And there they are, Thurston Howell III and his wife, Lovey. He was a millionaire and his wife. They were multi-millionaires. And as you watch the show, you would see that money and social status were everything to them. Money and social status were everything to them. Now, what do you think the lesson could be from the howls that could keep them? What was it in their personality? What was it in their life that would keep them from receiving the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you think? It would be greed, money, the love of money. Is that right? Money. Money, money, money. Is that right? Notice if you would mark the 10th chapter and the 17th verse. Mark the 10th chapter and the 17th verse. Mark the 10th chapter and the 17th verse. Now, as he was going out on the road, Jesus going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, and we'll find out in a minute that this, this young man here that came to him was a very rich, he's known as the rich young ruler. He says, good teacher, he's he's speaking to Jesus. Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good but one, that is God. So he was looking at Jesus as a good teacher. And if you're gonna get saved, you have to see him not as just a good teacher. You have to see him as God. Do you understand that? 
side point, but I thought that was good anyway. Notice verse 19. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Uh, Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this rich young ruler answered and said to Jesus, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And a little point here, you can see that this rich young ruler was was certainly trusting in his in 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 his works and things like that but but there's something deeper yet let's go on and he answered and said to him teacher all these things i've kept from my youth and jesus looking at him loved him does jesus love rich people sure he does poor people too and in between jesus looking at him loved him and said to him one thing you lack go your way sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. He called this young man to service. He called him to salvation. He called him to service. But notice verse 22. He, the rich young ruler, he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had what? He had great possessions. And I like to say it this way. Nothing wrong with him having the great possessions. That's not why he walked away from Jesus, it's because the great possessions had him. Did you get what I just said? Nothing wrong with having great possessions, but it's wrong when the great possessions have you. And you see, he was sad at the word. Jesus called him to salvation, called him to service. And he went away sorrowful. Why, 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 why? For he had great possessions. Ultimately, we could say much about this young man, but the thing that kept him from salvation was that he was trusting in money. He was trusting in riches. He had great possessions. No, the great possessions had him. Notice verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for those who what? Who trust in, real loud say trust in, who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Nothing wrong with having riches, but when you trust in those riches, it can distract you from the most important thing and that's receiving the Lord Jesus. And see that's where this young man was was ultimately hung up. He the money had him, he couldn't walk away from it. He couldn't turn it loose. And he was money was his god. Did you know you can't serve God and money? You can have God and you can have money, but you can't serve them both. Did you get what I just said? Did you get what I just said? You can have them both, you just can't serve them both. You're either going to serve the one or serve the other. The Bible says, and a lot of people misquote this, and they'll say that money is the root of all evil, but the Bible didn't say that. What did the Bible say? The Bible said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And actually that verse that says that says that it, it can cause people to stray from faith in God. Money can cause people to stray from faith in God. The Bible, Jesus himself warns us about the deceitfulness of riches. 
There's something about money and the acquiring of money and the storing up of money that can get a hold of somebody and deceive them and can cost them salvation. Jesus talks about, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, he talks about the rich man who died. His body was buried up here on the earth, but his spirit went down into hell. Remember that? And the man went to hell, as you study the story carefully, he went to hell not because he was rich, because if you remember the story, when he was down there in hell, he he saw Abraham who was up in, in paradise in Abraham's bosom. And we all know from studying the Bible, Abraham was rich, wasn't he? Yet he was, after he, after he died, he was in paradise. So if being rich automatically puts you in hell, I mean, that, how would, that's not fair. God, that's not fair. That's not right. Money doesn't, money, having money, I tell you, you really serve God. He will prosper you in the process of time. Did you hear me? The reason that rich man in Luke, the 16th chapter, the reason that rich man went to hell was, be, and it's clear, Jesus is clear in there. And he, and he tells us exactly why. Because after the, after the rich man was in hell, he cried out to Abraham. Abraham was rich, but he wasn't in hell, was he? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Abraham may have had more money than the rich man that was in hell. Abraham was a rich man. But Abraham believed God. Is that right? And, and the man was in, the rich man was in hell. Jesus is clear because when the rich man's down there, he cries out to, says, Abraham, send, send Lazarus back to my brothers. I've got five brothers. Tell, you know, let's say also that, you know, send him back, tell him, you know, warn him about this place of torment. I don't want him to come here. And remember what Abraham said? He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Who'd Moses and the prophets preach about? Jesus. Yeah, but if one was risen from the dead, they'll repent. And he, no, said if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. Why was the rich man in hell? Because in his life, his money distracted him from hearing the word of God. Did you hear what I just said? His money distracted him from hearing the word of God and he winds up in hell. So what do we learn from Mr. and Mrs. Howell? We learn that serving money, putting money as the highest priority in your life can and will distract you from the most important things of life and that's Jesus and the word of God. Did you hear me? Is there anything wrong with having money? No, but it's wrong when money has you. It's wrong when money has you. Did you hear me? If you can't tithe, guess what? Money has you. Did you hear what I just said? Somebody that, that, that refuses to tithe, what have they just told me about themselves? That what money has them. Is that right? How many of you know it all belongs to God anyway, doesn't it? And he, he allows us to keep 90%. He requires 10. Is that right? That's a good deal, isn't it? How many of you would rather have a blessed 90 than a cursed 100? Yeah, yeah. 
I, I never try to convince people into tithing. Never, never have, never will. It doesn't work. I teach the word of God and let the Holy Ghost work on folk. If he can't get the job done, I surely can't. My job is not to convince. My job is to teach the word of God and let the Holy Ghost move on you. But one thing I have learned over all these years, if a person can't tithe, if they can't, if they can't do it, they can't bring themselves to do it, they can't release the money, what have they just told us about them? That money has them. And when you're in that place, you're in a dangerous place because you can be easily deceived. Did you hear what it just said? So that's the howls. We could go on and on about them. Next up on the docket is, who is that? That's a professor. Professor. His name was Roy Hinckley on the show. Now his real name was Russell Johnson. But you don't need to know that. We know him as, we know him as, who is he? We know him as who? The professor. Real loud say the Professor. An extremely educated man. Knowledge was most important to him. The most important thing to him. He needed scientific proof for everything. Nothing could be accepted by faith. What have we learned right there by that statement? Nothing could be accepted by faith. What would hinder him from getting saved? He can't accept anything by faith. How do you get saved? You get saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that right? Notice Ephesians 2 and 8. Let's turn there. Ephesians 2 and 8 says this. For by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So if you, can't, if you can't accept anything by faith, if everything has to be proven, if everything has to be, you know, if I can't see it, I won't believe it, then you disqualify yourself. You can't even get saved. Is that right? Because we get saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully. I'm not against education. I have a good education. I hold a major in mathematics from the University of Missouri-St. Louis. I used to be a college math instructor. I'm all for education. I'm, I'm not against it whatsoever. But I tell you what, I have learned this. It is possible to be educated beyond your intellect. And I, I want to tell you something. I've, I've talked to a lot of professors, real-life professors at the college level, professors at UMSL, other professors... And uh, to so many of them, knowledge has become a God to them. Knowledge has is, is become a God to them. And, and everything is, has to be scientifically proven. And, and, uh, and I will say this, that good science, the only thing good science does is back up the Bible. <laughs> you understand that? But I've watched so many of them. I've talked to so many of them that, 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 that science and, 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 and knowledge... And education had become a god to them, and and they were it got to the point that they were they 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 were they were blinded from the most simple things. And I've even talked to to people in the arena of theology, and and people who have studied and, and have obtained doctorates of theology and and whatnot, and. Uh, uh, and, and, and they become so wise. And and the Bible says, professing themselves to be wise. 
they became fools. You remember that scripture? Now, I'll tell you right now, I've met a lot of professors. They've had PhDs. And listen, I respect their study time. I respect, I respect their education and, I, and all of that. But I tell you what, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so many of the professors that I've talked to, so many of them that I've met, while they were smart intellectually, all I had there was a fool I was talking to. I said a fool. Did you hear what I just said? I said a fool. Because I've had more than one of them look me in the eye and tell me, I don't believe there is a God. You can't prove there is a God. And the only way I'm going to believe there is a God is if you can prove him to me. What do you, what do you got there? You're talking to a fool. Is that right? And I tell you what, I have done some study over the years. I've gone into the Bible and I've gone into science and I've gone in and studied, studied, studied. Like one time I did a series on where we got, how the Bible was put together and how we got it, where it, you know, how, how, how it all came about. But you know, after I did that several week series, at the end of the day, guess what? You still have to accept this by faith. And with all the scientific proofs that good scientists can do, and Dr. Carl Baugh, have you ever heard of him? He's a good Christian scientist. And, and even after you listen to him and, 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 and he's proven everything to you scientifically about the Bible, guess what? At the end of the day, you still have to accept the Bible and the things of God by faith. Did you hear me? Yeah, but if one rose from the dead... I'd believe. No, you still, but what did, what did Abraham say? If you won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will you be persuaded by some miracle. Had a lady tell me at the door one day, she said, she came up to me and she said, Pastor, if you snap your finger right now and lightning hits in the parking lot, I'll believe. And I said, no, you won't. Because you see, she'll explain it away as coincidence. And then the next thing she'll say is, well, okay, do it again. And then she'll say, do it. Remember, if you give a mouse a chocolate chip cookie, what's he going to want next? A glass of chocolate milk. Is that right? Now, is that right? Huh? You're either going to accept God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the things of God, the word of God. You're either going to accept it by faith or you're not going to be able to accept it. That means that you, you, don't have, you can't see it, hear it, smell it, taste it, or touch it. But just because the word of God says it, I believe it. I accept it. You okay? That brings us to our next castaway, which would be Miss Ginger. Anybody know her last name? We've got one person. All right. Ginger, who was Ginger Grant? She was the movie star. The movie star. Can you say movie star? Movie star. I want to be in pictures. I want to be a star. Remember that song? Did you know that song right there? Not the song itself, but the words have put people in hell. Did you know that? I want to be famous. Her beauty and her charm were everything to her. She was obsessed with fame and being popular. Did you know you can become obsessed with wanting to be famous and popular? I mean, I, I don't know any of us that wouldn't, wouldn't want to be popular, whether it's in school or in whatever we do. I mean, there, there's a certain part of that where there's nothing wrong with that. But when it, if you're not careful, it can obsess you. 
And it can take you over and it can drive you and it can become a God to you. Being popular. And I want to be popular. Well, if you're not watchful, that can take you over and become a God to you. Again, nothing wrong with what, I mean, when I was in school, I wanted to be popular. I don't know anybody that didn't want to be popular. I wanted to be popular. But nothing wrong with that up to a point. But you can get to a point where that can become a God to you. And it can cost you. And see, Ginger Grant, she was a movie star. Her beauty and charm were everything to her. She was obsessed with fame and being popular. Notice John, the 12th chapter and the 42nd verse. John, the 12th chapter and the 42nd verse. Jesus had been ministering and speaking and doing miracles and so on and so forth, healings and whatnot, you know, his ministry. And notice in John, the 12th chapter, verse 42, the Bible says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. You see that? But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they what? They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Do you see that? What was it about Ginger Grant that would keep her from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it would be this. She would love the praise of men and her public, her fans, more than the praise of God. We need to be watchful about this. We need to be careful about this. Loving the praise of men more than the praise of God. No one is exempt from this. As a preacher, I have to deal with it. Do I come in the pulpit and tell you what God wants me to say? Or do I come in the pulpit and tell you something that will make you like me? I've made a decision. I'm going to come in the pulpit and tell you what God wants me to say. Whether you like me or not. They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Makes me think of this one lady who pastored a church with her husband many, many years ago. And she had, it was a call on his life, a call on her life, and they, they served God. It was a small church. Not very many people knew, knew her. Oh, the thing I forgot to tell you about her is that she had great singing ability. Great, beautiful voice. Great singing ability. And she sang in the church and led the worship and sang in the church. And she was always frustrated because her gifts and her talents were not being recognized by the general public, just the small little congregation. And as the story goes, it's a true story, the thoughts began to come to her and the devil began to, you know, he'll hit us with those fiery darts and these thoughts that, you know, if, if, if you were out in the world and you weren't in the church serving God, if you were out in the world, you could have made it big time. You could have been a big star. You could have been very famous and very popular and... You could have been a big star. And at first she 
just cast those thoughts down, but in the process of time, she began to... Did you know the devil knows how to play right into what's going on in our thinking a lot of times? And she began to give heed to those thoughts and listen to those thoughts. And, 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 and yeah, because she always wanted to be popular. She always wanted to be a star. She, but in the church there, she was just being heard by just a handful of people. And, and so one day she says, I want to go out. I want to be in pictures. I want to be a star. And she leaves her husband. She leaves the church and she goes out into the world and begins singing in the nightclubs. And she rose up and became pretty popular and famous there in that area. But she walked away from the Lord Jesus Christ and died and went to hell. Elvis Presley. Everybody that knows me knows that I love Elvis Presley. There's no doubt that there was a call on his life. See, I always look at the one side of Elvis, but let's, let's, let's look at the whole thing. He's a public figure. I can talk about him. Nobody could love him any more than me. And I don't know of any, star, any man that's risen to a higher level of stardom. How many people are known worldwide by their first name? As you study his life out, there's times that he knew that there was a call on his life. But he went the way of the world. And he's dead at 42 years old. Now you tell me that's the perfect will of God. And when he dies, he's got a woman that he's not married to in the bed right in the next room. And you tell me that's God. And he had one, there's credible reports that when he'd go in those hotels, he'd have women that he wasn't married to. He'd have women on different floors that he'd be going in having sex with. Are you saying Elvis went to hell? I'm not going to answer that question. I'm not God. But I just know there you've got a man that's known worldwide by his first name. The call of God on his life and he's singing in the world. And there's no way that having a woman in the bed you're sleeping with and you're not married to, there's no way that's the will of God. Is, is Is that? And he's dead at 42. You know that can't be the will of God. What do we learn from Ginger Grant? We learn that you can love the praise of men and women more than the praise of God and it can cost you. Now we talk about the skipper, the good old skipper. Jonas Grumby was his name. I don't know that that would ever help you anywhere other than if you were on a trivia show. That was his name in a show, but they called him the Skipper. Realize, say the Skipper. 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 He was the captain of the tour boat, the SS Minnow. 
He was a good guy, a jolly, happy guy, full of good works and always wanted to help people. What lesson can we learn from him? That good works can't save us. Being a good old jolly guy can't save us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, you were there just a moment ago. The Bible said, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of... And then look at verse 9, Ephesians 2, 9. says, not of what? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, our good works do not save us. We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But once we are saved, then there ought to be an abundance of good works. The good works don't save us. The good works are a result of our salvation. See, good works are not the root of our salvation. They're the fruit of our salvation. Our salvation is rooted in the Lord Jesus by faith in him, you see. What do we learn from the skipper, a good guy? a good moral fella, a good jolly guy, always willing to help and lend a hand and do whatever he can. There's nothing wrong in and of, of that, but if you're not tapped into the Lord Jesus Christ, you're lost. Did you hear me? I think about the man Cornelius in the Bible when I think of the skipper. And you can read about Cornelius in the book of Acts, but he was a good man. He was a devoted man. He was devoted to his family, to his wife. He reverenced God. He gave generously to the poor and he prayed to God regularly. Yet an angel appeared to him and told him to send for Peter and that Peter would tell him what he must do. And a person that's good works minded, you know, these are some of the hardest people to get saved because they think their good works in and of themselves will save them. These are some of the hardest people to minister to. It's easier to minister to somebody, to minister the salvation to somebody that's just, just, just an old drunk or, or, or a drug addict or something like that because they, you know, they, they know, hey, well, my life isn't, I know I need, I need some help here. But it's the people that are, that are self-righteous and morally real good people. Those people are hard to minister to because you see they're trusting in their good works. But we all must come the way of the cross. I said, we all must come the way of the cross. And Cornelius was a good man, yet an angel appears to him and says, send for Peter and he'll tell you what you must do. And, and, and Cornelius might have been scratching his head thinking, what I must do? I'm a good family man. I'm devoted to my wife and my kids. I reverence God. I give, I give money to the poor. I pray regularly. All those are good things, but none of those things in and of themselves will save you. It's not until you turn from your old life and come to the foot of the cross and receive Jesus Christ into your heart and believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day and confess him as your Lord that you become saved. And so good works will not save us. Good works will not get us through the doors of heaven. Good works will not open the pearly gates for us. The only thing that does that is the blood of Jesus and our faith in, in him. Now we'll be rewarded for our good works once in heaven and we should be full of good works. Just don't ever trust in those good works. And now we have two more to go. Marianne, remember Marianne? She's the, how many remembers Marianne? You remember her? She's a sweet girl from Kansas, Marianne Summers. She was good, she was kind, she was moral, 
She was honest and wholesome. She was a great cook and a great baker of coconut cream pies. Gilligan always wanted those coconut cream pies. If there were to be a Christian in this group of castaways, it would be her. So you say, Pastor Terry, what was her flaw? What lesson can we learn from Mary Ann? Well, she got on the boat with the wrong group of people. And she wound up shipwrecked and lost. Do you know the people we hang around are so vital and so important in our life? You better let God choose your friends for you. Did you hear what I just said? And not only that, but I'll tell you right now, and I'm speaking mainly to, to any young people that might be listening to me here in this auditorium or by the internet, that if your mom and dad don't have peace about one of your friends, you better listen to that. Because they can see things you can't see. Did you hear what I just said? And there's several young people in here and, and many more that may be listening by the internet. You know, this goes all over the world. People listen to these sermons all over the world. But if your mom and dad don't have peace about a friend, you better listen to that because they can see things a lot of times that you just can't see. And did you know your friends can make you or break you? Did you hear me? You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You better be watchful of who you hang around and who you keep company with. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it says this, do not be misled or deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And I tell you what, I've, I've seen this firsthand teaching school. I have watched this. I've seen it over the many years I've watched this as you have a young person that, that they're, they're good and they're, they're moral and just, just, just not a behavior problem in class and all of that. But they get in with the wrong crowd. They get in with the wrong group. And then the next thing you know, they're, be, they're a behavior problem in class. And then, and, and then the next thing you know, their grades start to fall. And the next thing you know, they're, they're drinking a little bit. And the next thing you know, they're, they're, they're on drugs. And the next thing you know, they're, they're in, in, in uh, uh, illicit sex. I've watched it. I've, I've seen it. And what did you go back? What, 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 what caused it? It's because they got in with the wrong group of kids. And I've not only watched this with young people, but in pastoring a church, I've watched this over the years with adults as well. It's, it's no different. We need to be very watchful of who we hang around. I've seen good people and, and, and they were just fine. And when they'd get around a certain person, they just turned into an, it's like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type thing. You need to be watchful who you hang around because bad company corrupts good character. So that brings me to my last person. And does anybody know who that might be? G-I-L-L-I-G-A-N spells? Oh my gosh. I can see you're really into this message with me. I thought you'd enjoy this. I thought you would. You enjoy, you getting anything out of it? Isn't this interesting? Actually, when Sherwood Schwartz, he was the guy that, 
created Gilligan. He also created the Brady Bunch, remember? Next week, come back. Next week, I'll do a sermon on the Brady Bunch. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting because he wrote this when he wrote the, the, the Gilligan's Island. Each one of the seven castaways was to represent one of the seven deadly sins. And that was his premise. And, that, and then, of course, I'm taking it in a little bit different direction here. But isn't this interesting? You can learn a lot from Gilligan's Island and how it relates right with the word of God. Have you gotten anything out of this today? So who's my last character? G-I-L-L-I-G-A-N spells Gilligan. Yeah. What's your favorite Gilligan? Uh, you know what my favorite one was? Is when, uh, when, they, when Harold Hecuba came to the island and they did Hamlet. Remember that one? Yeah. Oh, well. To be or not to be, that is the question. Okay, let's get back to it. <laughs> Let's close this up with Gilligan. There's a lot of Bible in this today. I hope you understand that. It was his first name, Willie, and last name, Gilligan. But, let's not get into that, but <laughs> but we don't really know for sure if it was. And, and he once was interviewed and he said his first name was Gil, middle initial E, and last name G-A-N, but everybody said it real fast, so it was Gilligan. I don't know. See, I'm getting you ready for a trivia show. <laughs> the thing about this message that I thought that, that would, would be a blessing is that you can take something as simple as Gilligan and get a pretty awesome message, a salvation message. Huh? We've, we've talked, this is a salvation message is what this is. Gilligan was the silly and bumbling first mate of the skipper. And so much could be said about him. But the lesson we learn from him is this. Again and again, Gilligan was given the opportunity to get off the island, to get saved. And again and again, he kept passing that opportunity up. He'd bungle something, he'd do something, this, that, and the other. But the lesson I want you to get is that throughout that, that series of Gilligan's Island, they... they Many times he had the chance to get off the island. And again and again, he kept passing that opportunity up. The Bible says a fool repeats his folly. And as you look at Gilligan, he kind of came across as a fool, didn't he? Silly and bungling. But the thing I want you to get is this, is that he was given the opportunity many times to get saved, to get off of that island, and he never did. And do you know that there's people that have heard the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they've heard it again and 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 again, week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, week out. And they never receive Jesus like Gilligan, they pass up that opportunity. Something, isn't it? I saw a man on the way to the church this morning walking on the side of the road that attended here years ago. Attended here for years. I call people to Jesus Christ. Every Sunday, never did get saved. 
Year after year after year after year after year. I don't know why I saw him this morning. Maybe I just happened to see him walking along the side of the road. Year after year after year. Year after year after year. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Call people to Jesus. Call people to Christ. Call people to Jesus. Call people. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man. The spirit of the Lord will not always contend with man. The spirit of the Lord will not always plead with man. The spirit of the Lord will deal with you. He'll deal with you. He'll deal with you. He'll deal with you. He'll deal with you. But there comes a point when He'll stop striving with you. You find that in the book of Genesis. I believe it is the sixth chapter. The spirit of the Lord will not always plead or contend with men or women. You call people to Jesus. Come to Christ. There's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. And like Gilligan was given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to get off that island. And he just kept pushing it away, so to speak. You know, the Bible talks about the goodness and the severity of God. And God offers his goodness. It's the goodness of God that causes us to repent and come to salvation. But I tell you what, I've watched people over the many years and and you offer them the the word of God and the goodness of God and, and you just watch them just knock it away and you offer it again and knock it away and you offer it again knock it away and you offer it 10,000 times and knock it away and there comes a point where if you will not receive his goodness then all that remains is his severity the spirit of the Lord will not always plead with mankind The spirit of the Lord will not always plead with mankind. Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. I'll always continue to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I'll always continue to offer him to people. If you're in this auditorium and you're listening to this message or if you're listening over the internet and the Lord's been dealing with you and dealing with you and dealing with you and has been for years and I just want to warn you lovingly that the spirit of the Lord will not always plead and contend. So receive him while he's pleading. Receive him while he's contending with you for your soul. I've watched people sit in churches over the many years and the Bible says there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, it's in the Proverbs or the Psalms or in Ecclesiastes, somewhere in there, somewhere in that area. 
says, I, I, I beheld people, I put in my own words, I beheld people coming and going from the place of the holy. I beheld them coming and going from church. I beheld them, I watched them, I saw them as they came and went from church. And in the process of time, they died and they were buried and they went to hell and they were forgotten about in the city where they had so done this. And I've thought many times, why do people not get saved as they come to the local church? Why don't they get saved? And there's only one of two reasons that I can think of is either number one, the preacher doesn't teach the salvation message of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so sad when people come to church and preachers stand in pulpits and they give little sermonettes and they share poems and jokes and stories. And people sit there week in and week out and week in and week out and the pastor stands in the pulpit trying to entertain congregations and tell them jokes. Yeah, I used Gilligan today, but Gilligan's a side point. This has all been about Jesus and things that'll keep you from Jesus. Did you hear me? So don't you dare leave here and think Gilligan. Gilligan had nothing to do with this. I just used Gilligan to tell you about Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I just said? So when you leave here, you don't think Pastor Terry, you don't think Pastor Diane, you don't think Gilligan, Mary Ann, Skipper of the house. I want you thinking about one person and one person only, and his name is Jesus Christ. We have him right up there. Real loud, say, Jesus is Lord. Lord. Can you say amen? amen? So either pastors stand in pulpits and they don't tell their congregation that there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to show. You know, there's a lot of... I feel the anointing of God. There's a lot of pulpits that don't warn people about hell anymore because it's an unpopular subject and nobody really wants to hear about that. And if we talk about that, uh, it might offend people. They might not come back. But I'm here today to tell you under the anointing of God, there is a heaven above, but there is also a hell beneath and we need to be aware of it and we need to do everything within our power to escape it. How do you escape hell? By coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Glory to God. The anoint, I feel the anointing of God. May God have mercy on a pastor that stands in a pulpit and knows about hell. There's a lot of pastors that don't know about it. They don't, they don't, they, 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 you know, there's a lot of preachers aren't even saved themselves. Did you hear me? But why do people come and go from church and they don't get saved? Why is that? It's either because the pastor isn't preaching it or the other thing is is that he preaches it and people just won't respond to the wooing of the Holy Ghost. And they'll sit there and they just can't wait till it's over. That man I saw this morning walking on the sidewalk. I watched him for years. He couldn't wait till the service. Was over. I 
I don't know about you, but I come here to get what the Holy Ghost has for me and I want to stay till he's through. And I could care less about the clock if the Holy Ghost is moving. And I watched the Holy Ghost deal with that man for years and years and years. If you push the Holy Spirit away, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man. That man I'm talking about, I believe the Holy Ghost loves him and I believe he could, he could still get saved. Don't misunderstand me. But if you want to go your way and do your thing, the Lord will let you do it. Don't let money be your God. Don't let education be your God. Don't let fame and notoriety be your God. Don't trust in your good works because you on your best day and me put together in and of ourselves miss heaven and go to hell. So don't trust in those good works Watch who your friends are. Watch who you hang around. Heard the Holy Ghost say, I need to say this. Don't go to hell with your friends. Don't go to hell with your friends. And finally, don't pass up. the opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And then one final thing. And this is a thing that needs to be said. Because people a lot of times, I'm talking about church people, they think that they can just trust in Jesus and call him Lord, but then live any which way they want to live. And they think they're saved. I'm not talking now about making a mistake and blundering. I'm talking about a lifestyle of practicing sin. The church in the United States of what I know anything about have people in the churches that they've called Jesus Lord. They come to church on a regular basis, but yet they have an affair going on. They have a woman on the, I'm talking a married man has a woman on the side. I'm talking about a married woman has a, another man on the side. I'm talking, I, I'll say it again. A married man has a woman on the side. That's not his wife. I'm talking a married woman's got a man 
Huh? I'm talking about a little drunkenness. I'm talking about a, a tongue. I'm talking about a tongue so sharp. I'm talking about gossip and backbiting and, and spreading rumors and gossip that you tongue so sharp you could cut a hedge. I'm talking about loose, lackadaisical living. And those people actually think that they're, because they call Jesus Lord that they're saved. But didn't Jesus himself say that in that day, in that day of judgment, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? Didn't we call you Lord? Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do many mighty wonderful works? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? Didn't we do all these wonderful things? And then Jesus said, I'll look at them and tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice sin. Stand with with me if you would. I don't need anyone to come up here just yet. Just stand with me if you would. Heads bowed, eyes closed in the presence of...